Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Superstation here on Car Radio with Henry Payne. We kick off our second hour here. Give us a call at 313-778-7600. If you want to join the conversation, we're going to be talking to John McCormick, a good friend of the program. John, how are you? Well, Henry, thanks very much. Yeah, great to uh, great to have you with us. And, and uh, John was writing this week uh, for my publication, for the Detroit News, about the new... Range Rover, which is—I uh, I tell you—I've been—I've—I've had rain—I've had uh, Range Rovers, Land Rovers on the brain, John. I just got out of the first James Bond or first James Bond movie I've seen in a while, um, uh, and it's the last uh, giant Bond movie with um, with Daniel Craig in it, who I think is my favorite Bond. After Sean Connery, what do you think? Are you you're a Brit? Is is James is James Bond popular with the Brits? Oh my goodness, yeah, yeah. It's part of our upbringing actually to watch every Bond movie, um, you know, <laughs> and have opinions of all the actors. Um, and I would side with you. I think you know Connery, of course, takes the cake. I mean, he, he's he's the one who got it going, but it's got much more serious with people like Daniel Craig, and uh, more appropriate, I suppose. I mean, the only ones were pretty un-PC in the way they handle certain topics. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, no, I hear it's a good movie. I haven't seen it yet, though. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good. It's a little long for my taste. I, I, I like two hours in the dark, but you, you get over two, two hours and 30 minutes, and uh, I start yeah. to uh, look at my watch. But it's very good, and it's filled with uh, with Land Rover Defenders. And, and of course... Um, uh. This this movie was delayed uh, repeatedly during the pandemic. It was time to come out as, as the Defender hit the market uh, back last year. But there there are uh, there are Land Rovers all over the place, and obviously uh, Land Rover has a pretty special place in the in the in the heart of the of English culture. Yeah, and um, previous Bond movies, of course, have, have liberally used Jaguars and Aston Martins, so. Yeah, they 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 make good use of uh, British uh, automotive products. I I, uh, I enjoyed some of the Aston Martin features, um, and uh, but yeah, no, I haven't seen it. I look forward to see how the Defender comes out of this one, um, and uh, I'm you know I, I I do like the Defender. I think it's a good product, but um, the Range Rover you mentioned, which I got a special preview of, is uh, in a whole class of its own. I mean, that's that's the when you want 
when you want to go anywhere in ultimate luxury. <laughs> well, well, help us out here. And then, frankly, I get confused on this myself. The, uh, you got Land Rover Defenders. You have you have Range Rover Evokes. How does how, help us make sense of the name? Why, why do we call some vehicles Land Rovers and others Range Rovers? Well, it, uh, to me, the full full name for it is, of course, the Land Rover Range Rover, which is a bit of a mouthful. Agreed. And people just refer to them as Range Rovers because they become so iconic that you don't need the Land Rover designation, whereas, you know, Defenders and Discoveries all take the Land Rover a name as well, usually. So, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it, it stands alone at the sort of peak of, of their range and in many eyes at the peak of any sort of luxury SUV. So it's pretty special. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that helps. So the so the Range Rover that you just drove is is the... Uh, the top of the line. I guess you you start with uh, what the Evoke, and then you then you work up the line to the Range Rover. Yeah. So the Evoke is a sort of uh, a spin-off of um, the Range Rover platform, as is the um, the Velar, which is a, a, a kind of boutique version of the Range Rover, if, if such a thing can exist. It's um, it's even more sort of svelte looking and uh, a bit less practical. But um, anyway, so the Range Rover sits at the sort of pinnacle of all Land Rovers. Um, and what they've done is, is sort of kick off with a, um, uh, a hybrid model, a mild hybrid, as a sort of nod to uh, electrification. But uh, pretty much straight away you go into a, a V8 um, a twin-turbo BMW supplied engine, actually, um, for all the, all the other models. So, uh, and then they get more and more luxurious as you go up the line. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's hard for an SUV to turn your head. You know, there's a there's a commonality in the in the five door look that every manufacturer uh, has to conform to. But uh, the the Velar always turns my head. I mean, I, I think it's the the prettiest SUV out there. The Range Rover's done some pretty significant. Uh, work on 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 this new vehicle. How how did it strike you um, when you first saw it? Well, uh, you mentioned Velar, and it, it's got a lot of Velar in it. In the sense that it's very clean exterior. There's few uh, character lines, as we like to call them. You know, those sort of etched lines in the side of a vehicle that that are favoured by the likes of Lexus, um, which uh, some of us refer to as having styling that's a tangle of angles. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's so many character lines in, in some of Lexus and, and some other brands, whereas the Range Rover goes completely clean, um, uh, and it's got flush glass, um, all kinds of smoothing elements to the exterior. The door handles retract fully into the body sides and so on. And so... In a in a sea of sort of boxy looking big SUVs, it really does stand out, as you mentioned, does the Velar. Yeah, they're 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 really uh, beautiful vehicles. There, there's so much going on uh, in inside vehicles these days. In fact, when I um, when 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 folks ask me about uh, Tesla, I've, I own a, a Tesla. I know you've looked at electric cars also, but I, ultimately. What separates uh, Tesla for me is not the electric drivetrain, uh, but it's 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 the interior 
just the the, um, uh, the sort of the clean sheet uh, rethink of an interior. It's so simple, everything's in the screen, and then you constantly get over-the-air updates that make the vehicle better over time. How, how is uh, how is this Range Rover adapting to this new electronics world? Well, it's a good point, and they have taken the approach, as with the exterior, of simplifying, simplifying the inside as much as possible. So you have one big center screen, um, very elegant. It's got a slight curve to it, um, and all, all the sort of basic controls for, um, for, for HVAC and uh, uh, sound system, uh, they, they kind of double up on some of the controls. So, you know, you, you get multi-functions out of some of the switches to keep the number of switches down or buckle and knobs. And that, so it results in a really clean interior, not quite as, as cleaned up as a, a Tesla, which goes, some would say, a little too far, and you have to operate everything through a screen. But right. um, but it, but anyway, uh, it, it it's a lovely clean look, and they've accentuated it uh, more with in terms of materials. Um, and, I mean, they've really gone uh, to town on this one with things like um, parquet type veneer, you know, which is sort of this wood finish with patterns in it. That uh, I don't know if even Rolls Royce <laughs> goes that far. They may do if you ask for it as a custom job, but. Um, you know, the Rolls-Royce Cullinan, which uh, I'm sure you're familiar with, is their sort of top SUV. costs about three times the price of the Range Rover, but um, I haven't actually checked out the interior, but I would, wouldn't be surprised if the, this new Range Rover is, is equally as good as, as that, as the Rolls-Royce inside. Yeah, I bet it is. I, I, I actually had a Rolls-Royce Cullinan uh, this summer, and it was fascinating to drive as um, I, I, you know, technically it's Rolls Royce's first SUV, but you know, I, I think you go back into history, and Rolls Royce has been making high riding SUVs for uh, a long time, really. If you look at the uh, if you look at the actual dimensions of these vehicles, but uh, Rolls Royce is sort of an interesting cross section of tradition and technology. So I didn't feel like the Cullinan took full advantage of the latest tech just because that customer also wants um, sort of traditional uh, luxury in that cabin as well. Whereas it sounds sounds like with the Range Rover, it sounds like they really are embracing uh, the new tech. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, they've got a new infotainment system with a, uh, what they say is a much more competitive um, interface uh, and, you know, res more responsive um, to the Internet and so on. So um, they're, they're not dragging behind so much uh, the likes of Audi, which has been very, very much a leader in that field. Um, yeah. And and in other areas, uh, they, you know, they have also over-the-air updates on their various systems and software. So um, they claim they're, you know, pretty competitive in all those areas now. Which is, yeah. which is good because it was it was a weak spot for uh, for Land Rover in general. Well, I, I think the other thing that's uh, interesting about this Range Rover is it's it's an expensive vehicle. Um, uh, I think it starts, uh, as you said in your uh, Detroit News review, around a hundred thousand dollars. But this is a vehicle that I find influences so many other vehicles, in particular Ford. If you look at Ford's. SUVs, 
they they really seem intent on mainstreaming uh, Range Rover style. You you see it uh, extensively in the in the new Ford Explorer from its general stance to its rear wheel. Uh, drive platform. What, what do you see in this Range Rover that might um, that might trickle down to more mainstream vehicles? Well, yeah, it's an interesting point you make. I know, uh, yeah, you look at uh, an Explorer in particular, and it's got a lot of um, Discovery uh, uh, other Land Rover models in them. Um, and of course, going back in time, Ford did own Land Rover. So there was a, a lot of crossover there in designers and so on. I'm sure that had an impact on things. But, um, no, the new one um, sets itself apart from the big SUVs, the really big ones, uh, you know, like the Escalade um, or uh, Ford's Expedition. Um, in, its, in, in its clean look, uh, the designer Jerry McGovern refers to it as reductionist design, meaning, you know, you strip away everything that's not necessary. And, um, and it... Uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if the likes of Ford or others do try and copy that. It's a, I'm sure it's an expensive thing to do uh, in terms of production and stamping those panels. I mean, it's all aluminum. And the doors, for instance, are one-piece stampings, huge doors, especially on the long wheelbase version, which is, is new. Um, so, so the cost of emulating... Uh, Range Rover may be beyond reach of some brands at their cost level or price levels. Yeah. There, there's uh, obviously a lot of talk about uh, electrification in the industry these days. It, it gets tricky, I think, when you uh, get to overland vehicles like a Range Rover that uh, need a, lo- a long range um, the way the customer wants to use them. I, 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 the, the pickup truck segment is is hot these days with electrics but um i think there are real issues there with uh with towing i mean you're looking at a 300 mile range ford lightning for example that once you hook up uh 8000 pounds behind it is is only going to go 100 miles what what do you what do you see in terms of the range where, where are are they looking at full electrification or or is there, are they really just looking at the mild hybrid as practical in a vehicle like that no, actually, they're, they're, they're going full hog into electrification. So uh, the next year, uh, later next year, they'll, in the 2023 model year, they'll have a plug-in hybrid version of this new Range Rover with over 60 miles of battery-only range. Um, and then in 2024, calendar year, they're going to go full EV. They didn't reveal any details of that, but all I could say is they're going to see a very big battery pack to move what is a heavy vehicle, and as you say, if they, you know, if an owner is going to be towing a horse trailer, the sort of thing that uh, Range Rover people have, um, uh, they're going to uh, use that battery power up pretty quickly, unless Range Rovers come up with some miracle solution. Yeah, yeah, it's a tricky, it's a tricky equation. The, the other thing I always struck me um, as as difficult. Um, for for Range Rovers, they're they're expensive, they're beautiful, um, but they have they have incredible off road capabilities, um, as I'm sure this Range Rover does. You look at a look, you look at a Jeep where you can you can take the doors off. It's got plastic fenders. You say, yeah, I can. This is forty thousand bucks. I, I'm going to take this out into the into the wilderness. Um, 
Uh, how about the Range Rover? Do you think think people really use them to their full off road ability? <laughs> it's a, it's a, a a good question and and uh, one I've often pondered. I I doubt very much if you spent. By the way, you know you're more likely spending at least one hundred and fifty thousand on this this Range Rover if you dress one up. Um, that you're going to take it down a, a you know a rocky uh, trail with branches that are going to scratch your paint and and rocks that are going to ding the the the, the panels. Um, I I just don't think I see it. I've done it, funny enough, on press trips where they've obviously had some old test cars that they let journalists uh, ding up, but um, as an owner, um, I, very rarely. Now, you may venture down a, you know, a nice sort of gravel road here or there, um, but, uh, you know, a lot of these are bought in um, the West Coast, in sort of Hollywood Hills. I see, I've seen tons of them out in, in that area, and there isn't much serious off-roading there, and nor in New York, uh, where there's the other hotspot for Range Rovers in the country. Um, so, no, I think they're more sort of city image vehicles, um, you know, really just just for sort of posing and not too much hardcore off-roading. That said, they can do it. And, uh, uh, again, I've been on trips where we've tackled just amazing, amazingly challenging roads uh, or trails on the, in the Range Rovers. Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, the Jeep Grand Wagoneer, isn't it? I mean, you get this uh, <laughs> extraordinary hundred thousand uh, dollar three row Jeep, and the the thing the thing still needs to um, still needs to meet all the criteria of the brand. So, I guess Range Rover being at the top of the lineup needs to be able to do all that uh, extreme off roading. But if you really wanted to do that, what, what, which Range Rover would you get? Uh. Well, um, I'm I, I, I'm uh, in favor of this. Uh, what I, I like the sound of this new BMW engine they're, they're using. Um, I asked them why, by the way, they, they've uh, you know not designed their own engine. They said, well, they they are moving towards electrification. So, you know, for a relatively small company, uh, the cost of developing their own uh, V8 uh, is just too much. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd opt for this. V8. It's got about, I think, 530 horsepower. Um, so it's pretty speedy um, and, uh, you know, a nice package off-road as well. One of the, the neat things they've done is go to uh, four-wheel steering um, and they claim it has a turning circle of only about 35 feet uh, on a really big vehicle. So, yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's kind of moved along. And they've gone away from permanent uh, four-wheel drive now to just rear-wheel drive with uh, uh, sort of sensors that kick in the front axle when needed for grip. So that's a significant change in both areas um, and uh, marks the sort of turning uh, of things for Range Rover. I think the big story on this is just the luxury and the, uh, the fact that people are prepared to spend all kinds of money on vehicles like this, and Range Rover is catering to that need. Yeah. Well, you gotta. If you're investing in uh, batteries, you gotta you gotta make money on your uh, high-end vehicles. So, sounds like uh, we'll make good margin on these. I, I love that uh, four-wheel steer because I, I was just in the Hummer EV, huge thing, and uh, but it can it can it has a 35-foot turning radius also, um, <laughs> yeah. using the electric uh, motors front and back. So, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty good that. Uh, Range Rover can turn 35 feet. I mean, that's uh, that's like compact vehicle 
uh, 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 diameter. Exactly, yeah. And the other thing is now they've got this longer wheelbase Range Rover with three rows of seating, which is a huge step forward uh, in terms of appeal to customers, you know, because it's always been just a two-row seater and five seats, and now they've got seven um, in this long wheelbase version. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're sort of opening up, uh, you know, new new avenues for the Range Rover with that as well. Yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing you in the next Bond film. John, uh, thanks for joining us as always. Have a great weekend. Likewise. Thank you. All right. That's John McCormick. Uh, you can find him uh, all over the web. Uh, uh, wonderful car reviews. Uh, wonderful wonderful perspective on things. He really travels the world uh, testing the latest, greatest. We're going to take a break here and hear from our sponsors. And on the other side, we'll be talking about another new vehicle, the Kia Sportage. You're on Car Radio 910 AM. Black is beautiful. The photography of Kwame Brathwaite is now on view at the Detroit Institute of Arts. His large-scale images captured the soul of the 1960s movement, celebrating black style and identity. See more than 40 stunning studio portraits, fashion work, and behind-the-scenes images of Harlem's 60s era, artistic and jazz community. Admission is always free for residents of Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb Counties. More information and reservations at dia.org slash black is beautiful. 910 AM Superstation has the greatest advertising deal ever with our Godfather package. 200 spots for $500 with a must-air within 30-day policy. That is only $2.50 per spot, and we will even produce the spots free. That's right, free. Call Ronisha Williams now at 313-434-8291. WADL gets a facelift and is now My 38 Detroit. Along with a facelift comes new programming on Mondays at 8 p.m. Catch a two-hour block of Law & Order SVU. Tuesday, Chicago Fire. Wednesday's Dateline. More Dateline and Chicago PD on Thursdays and on Fridays. You'll get more Chicago PD to start your weekend. We'll still have some of your favorite shows like Mom, Blackish, and Friends. Just adding more for you to enjoy on My 38. Attention. In July 2018, Bayer announced that it will be halting its sales of Assure. The Assure birth control may break or migrate after insertion, puncturing the fallopian tube, resulting in corrective surgery to remove the device. Thousands of women have reported debilitating health problems to the FDA. In April 2018, the FDA restricted sales of Assure to protect women and required that patients receive risk information. Please call 800-425-9539. But 910 AM can give you this much excitement. I'm Henry Payne, auto columnist for the Detroit News. You are on Car Radio. Full swing here on Saturday. Well, I just had a stream coming through here talking about cool cars, classic cars, hot rods, muscle cars. we got a great lineup for you today. Best car radio show in all of Michigan. Catch it all right here on 910 AM Superstation. Question, would you seat your three-year-old child on a windowsill? And would you seat them in a car seat that's not the correct one? Secure their future. Seat them in the correct car seat. More info at safercar.gov slash the right seat. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. The 910 AM live stream can now be seen on Apple TV, Roku, Chromecast, YouTube Red, iPhone, iPad, Android phone, Android tablet, Amazon Kindle Fire, any Windows phone. Watch us live at 910amsuperstation.com. 
want to thank my mommy for loving me so much. For taking me to the doctor when I broke my foot. For leaving me alone when I wanted to be alone. And, and now, as a grown-up, I'm thankful for being able to take care of you, my dear mom. For taking you to your therapies. For understanding that sometimes you simply want to be alone. Roles change without us noticing. That's why AARP gives you the information to provide even better care for your loved one. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. The 910 AM app has been integrated with Alexa and is now live in the App Store. To use 910 AM on your Alexa device, you can say Alexa commands in two ways. If your Fire TV device has a microphone button, you can hold down the microphone button to say the commands. If you've linked your Echo or Echo Dot to your Fire TV, you can use the trigger word Alexa without pushing your microphone buttons to say commands. Start listening to 910 AM Superstation now from the comfort of your home. 910, the Super Station, the oldest radio station in town since To 9:10 a.m. Superstation. Uh, good to have you on the program. I'm Henry Payne, auto columnist for the Detroit News, and uh, we move now to another new vehicle being introduced into the market. That is the all-new Kia Sportage. We're joined by Derek Ty, who's the product manager for the Sportage. Derek, how are you? Hi, Henry. Hello, everyone. Hey, uh, good. Yeah, good to have you on the program. You're uh, nice, nice to join us early in the morning out there in Los Angeles. How are things looking in LA? They're actually quite cold, I guess. Um, not not to your standards, but um, <laughs> colder than usual. <laughs> yeah, all rainy here in uh, Detroit. Uh, California's weather's always uh, so nice. Assuming you can uh, sidestep the earthquakes and the and the fires, it's a it's a beautiful. Uh, place to be out there, and you guys, uh, you're out there because the um, because Kia's uh, uh, U.S. headquarters are out there, design studios out there, everything is there in L.A. Yes, that's right, including our um, technical center. So the uh, Kia Sportage has always been one of my favorite compact SUVs. This is the most popular segment in the industry now that uh, we're all buying SUVs. Uh, the Sportage, I always have always loved it. It had a very sleek, um, very sleek uh, profile. Uh, almost, uh, almost had a sort of Porsche Macan feel to it, with uh, uh, rounded edges, very sporty looking. Uh, with this new generation Kia Sportage, uh, you're, you guys are going to something all, all new. This is a very different looking Sportage. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so we have incorporated our brand's new design philosophy, Opsis United. Um, so essentially what that means is really is it's our new visual identity. It's really the combination of contrast and combinations of sharp stylistic elements and sculptural shapes. So what that means for the Sportage is when you look at the fender, you're really blending the smooth, soft surfaces offset by more ruggy and edgy lines. So 
that's incorporated in both exterior and in the interior of the new Sportage. Yeah, so it's very striking. Uh, looking vehicle. There's uh, been, a, been a lot of interesting stuff going on with front ends of vehicles these days, uh, particularly when it comes to headlights. We've seen um, we've seen uh, a Jeep with a, a Cherokee brought in this sort of mid-set uh, headlight with uh, the, the running LED headlights as an eye, eyebrow above it. That's become very popular uh, in the industry. You see more traditional uh, headlights on other SUVs. Uh, this, the Sportage has a very, very, very different looking um, uh, LED and, head, and headlight signature on this car. Yeah, that is correct. Um, we decided to go with a more bold and progressive design. I mean, you know, hearing feedback from our consumers is that, you know, you're seeing that there's a lot of SUVs on the road. At, there's going to be a point that you're going to hit a saturation point that they're saying, I want, I want it to have some of me in it. And so having um, standardized LED headlights and taillights really allows us and essentially allows our designers to kind of push that envelope quite a bit more, right? Because the LED headlights, you can pretty much do whatever shape um, profile you want for it to kind of, you know, uh, support your design theme. And that's really what it's done is that it's, you know, the new Sportage is bigger, bolder. Uh, We added more tech, more confidence. Uh, we have a new hybrid and more capable off-road trim. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of exciting stuff going on at Kia these days. I'm a I'm a track guy, so I, I get really excited about the Kia Stinger every time I see one. Obviously, that's not a high volume vehicle, but an excellent halo vehicle uh, for the brand. One of the things that I, I, I find interesting is you guys have brought in all this new product in recent years, from the Stinger to the Telluride now to the Sportage, is is they all look so different. You know, you look at uh, some brands out there, and there's a there's a commonality of design that runs through, and it becomes hard to uh, uh, tell uh, one segment apart from the other. These these vehicles all have very distinct uh, uh, looks to them. Is that is that intentional on your part? Definitely, that is intentional. I mean, what is consistent is the tiger nose grill. Um, as you've seen, it, it comes in, you know, although it comes in different shapes and forms, but when you look at the front of the vehicle, the tiger nose grill is very evident. Um, as far as uh, what we do with the front end, uh, the main idea is really is to kind of provide it um, a more personality to the vehicle so that it, um, depending on the segment it's competing in. So uh, you've had the uh, Sportage in the market uh, uh, for a number of years. I think it's actually the longest-running nameplate in the Kia brand. Um, you guys have watched the evolution of SUVs become the dominant choice of consumers. What were you hearing from consumers from the last generation Sportage to this one um, that brought changes to the vehicle? Well, um, as I pointed out, um, the Sportage nameplate is our oldest. It's, in fact, over two and a half decades. Um, to date, we have sold nearly two million units of the Sportage. And so the, we we're pretty much building on its heritage of capability and reliability. And really the main point about the, you know, being an SUV is that capability has to mean a lot. And, you know, from our research, you know, when we were thinking about the concept and also introducing, okay, here's the, the new Sportage. 
what do you, you know, what, what do you guys think? Um, and consumers have said, I want something that one speaks to my personality and two is, you know, this is the largest segment, um, in the U S right now, you know, of course it teeter totters between the large, the full size pickup and the subcompact. So this vehicle has become pretty much either the main vehicle in the household or one of two vehicles in the household. And so what consumers have said is that, okay, um, give me, give me confidence. I want a feeling of that. I can get to point A to point B, um, safely. And, you know, one surprising thing when we were developing the, the X pro our Sportage X pro trim is that, you know, when we asked them, do you guys, uh, what do you guys think about going off-roading or do you guys go off-roading? And they said, um, all I care about is getting from point A to point B primarily that they run into, um, paved and unpaved roads. And I just looked it up on Google right now and it says that 67% of our roads are paved while the remaining third are unpaved. And it kind of makes you think that, okay, our assumption was that, you know, consumers would generally go off-roading with the actual, but in reality, the on-road is more of a jungle where they can, they need it to get around, let's say, you know, from the, you know, the, the curb rash or just getting over potholes in, you know, Pennsylvania or Texas or just getting off the highway to get around traffic. So long story short, it's, consumers have said, I want technology. I want modern tech. And that's one of the key things that we put in on, in the storage. You know, when, when I talked about um, bold elements on the vehicle, is that we, uh, we didn't just stop the bold, the boldness in the front. We bought that in, in the inside, um, you know, in the form of consumers love modern tech and we were bringing in modern tech. So this really is the first application of a, you know, mainstream vehicle with a dual panoramic curve display. So this is one of my um, powder additions on this. And it's not just limited on the top trim. It's going to be on the top half. So meaning that I didn't reserve just, you know, the very best feature on the top trim. I made it attainable on every trim level. And so this new curve display, which really was a, was a home run to a lot of consumers in our research, it's applied to more than 50% of our trim mix. Yeah, it's really it's stunning. And, and it's uh, uh, stunning to, to, to see this in a vehicle that starts at about $25,000. I mean, I, uh, it, it's, it's only been a couple years. I was up in Niagara Falls when Porsche introduced the first curved screen in the industry in a $150,000 Porsche Taycan. And now, mm-hmm. uh, in a, in a, this is a 2023 model car, is that, no, 2022 yeah. model car, right? Uh, 23 Sportage. Yeah, 20, here's a 2023 model car, and there is a, a curved screen <laughs> in, in this, uh, in this, uh, mainstream SUV. There's no hood on it. I mean, it's, it, it's really a striking, uh, piece. How, how is, how is that accelerated, uh, so quickly to where we're seeing this now in a, uh, mainstream Kia SUV? Well, you know, our, as you know, it was first applied on our EV6, which is coming out soon. And mm-hmm. our, we have invested a lot of um, efforts and R&D in the technology development. Our consumer, you know, consumers of our modern technology. This actually allows us to support our push for, you know, more electrification and more modernization of, of technology that are just a lot that are very intuitive and easy to use. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, it's really something to see in a vehicle like this. Speaking of electrification, as you guys, uh, you, you mentioned there's going to be a hybrid uh, version of this vehicle at some point. Uh, what do you hear from uh, customers? I mean, it's it's very buzzy in this in- industry to hear electrification. Do you actually hear that term from customers, or are they just looking for a power plant that, uh, as you say, will get them from point A to point B as efficiently as possible? Well, um, so there are a lot of things um, uh, to say about that. For, um, you know, it, um, initially, hybrids were all about give me the best FPG. Now it's, you know, without naming names of some OEMs, but they actually, um, they help change the perception of hybrid and also with EV. And so with the new models coming out, um, consumer expectations have changed significantly, and especially with um, seeing gas prices go up, they're seeing with a new hybrid that's more powerful and also much more efficient. So it's really um, an ideal best of both worlds, if you want to put it that way, that um, I don't have to visit the gas station as frequently, I don't have to spend as much, and that's really what we're hearing from the consumers, that um, I don't want to have to worry about paying five bucks you know, per gallon. I want to be able to, you know, how much is it going to cost me, um, how much less do I need to fill up, and that's really what we're hearing um, in terms of the hybrid and what, what it can deliver. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, Derek, uh, congratulations on this uh, Sportage. It's a, a stunning-looking vehicle, and uh, I look forward to testing it uh, as soon as I can. Yeah, I'd love to send out an invitation to you. And, you know, as soon as we're um, going for our um, press event for the drive, um, I'd love for you to come out, and I'd love to show you the our, both our Sportage gasoline engines and our hybrid model. I think it's yeah. going to be uh, a real fun and entertaining. And I yeah, really look forward. It. Yeah, yeah, I really look forward to it. Derek Tai, product manager for the Kia Sportage. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate your time. All right. Uh, and for our last segment today, I sat down with Taz Jukter, who is the executive chief engineer of the new. Chevy Corvette Z06, a dr- very dramatic uh, vehicle. Uh, I, I interviewed him at the uh, GM Design Studio in, in Warren. The audio quality of this uh, segment uh, is a little off, but I think my ACE uh, engineer, uh, Jalen Alston, uh, is going to uh, help out on that a little bit. So I, I apologize for the uh, spotty audio quality, but I think you'll find... The interview, uh, fascinating. Here's Taz Jukter. All right, this is Henry Payne with Night Radio in a cool place, the GM Design Dome. And uh, I'm staring at the all-new 2023 Chevy Corvette V06. I'm with Taz Jukter, who is executive chief engineer uh, on this vehicle. And, and uh, Taz, describe what we're looking at. Well, we actually have two cars here uh, for you. Um, it's the new Z06, so it'll come out next summer as a 2023 model. People have been obviously waiting for that ever, ever since uh, we introduced the, the series way back when. Um, people have been asking about the Z06. And, of course, we've been working on it, and we've been working on it in plain sight. We've been running the engine, uh, a 5.5-liter double-overhead cam uh, motor in the race series the last two years. 
in our race car, so we've been hiding in plain sight, so to speak, yeah. um, developing the heart of the beast. Um, and so this Neo 6 uh, follows a familiar uh, formula that we've done on previous generations, except more so. Uh, so we start with the Stingray, and then we lift everything up. This is the first time we've done like a full perimeter, so front fascia, rear fascia, fenders and quarters. Usually we hold over one end or the other, uh, but this time the whole perimeter of the car is new. That enables us to do a better job on aero, package more coolers. We want this thing to be extremely robust on track. Both the engine and the trans require very low lube temps, you know, very high quality lubrication. So we want to make sure we did a really good job with that. And um, speaking of the engine, it's really the heart of the beast. Uh, in previous generations, we basically hot-rodded the standard small block uh, to a higher level of power output. Yeah, Jeremy, just uh, your supercharging. The supercharging or bigger displacement or, you know, higher compression ratio, different cams is done before. Um, but now we started with my cheap paper. We started with an all-new engine family, basically a unique engine design specifically tailored at this car. And the background is Z06 have historically been naturally aspirated. For the seventh generation, we went to a supercharged solution, which gave us a lot of horsepower, but it was a little bit of a step back in terms of the real visceral engagement of the car. A lot of people really pine for the old 7-liter LS7, uh, if you recall, from the sixth generation car. So that, that kind of purity of experience, uh, like the race car, naturally aspirated. The problem we had, of course, was how do you do an engine that makes more power than a supercharged engine at higher displacement? And we weren't even sure it was possible. But we started with a blank sheet of paper and that objective in mind. And we just found out actually today uh, we finished the SAE process for certification on uh, engine horsepower. And we can tell you that it's uh, certified today at 670 horsepower, which makes it the uh, <laughs> normally aspirated engine. 670. Normally 670. So um, that makes it, if you look at all of automotive history, naturally aspirated V8s, this is the highest, and not by a little, by a lot. Yeah. Um, from the best you can tell, uh, Mercedes, AMG, uh, Black Series, uh, 6.2 liter. Uh, produced uh, 622 horsepower, I think. So here we are, uh, less displacement, but actually almost 50 horsepower more. Yeah, that's, that's wild. And, and as you say, it's been hiding in plain sight. We knew with the, uh, the five and a half liter in the C8R race car, right. uh, the high revving. Uh, 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 it sounds like a Ferrari, is generally how people it's, describe it. Right? Well, it's got the base of kind of some of that uh, American Thunder in it as well. So mm -hmm. we weren't trying to imitate Ferrari. Yeah. Flat plane crank, though, obviously. Right. That's, that's where you're getting the power, is with the high revs that's and the helpful. flat plane crank. Yeah, that's very helpful. So with low inertia, the engine spins up uh, really quickly, extremely responsive, especially coupled with a DCT. You can change engine speeds instantaneously for different levels of performance. And the power peak is right at uh, red line, essentially, right at uh, 8,500. And so the, the, the car just charges to the red line. It's just a frenzy to get to the red line and bang off that next gear change. It's just You're 8,600? 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8
Uh, if you're shifting manually, as is really fun to do, you better be quick. You better have your, your finger on the paddle ready to go because you better time it just perfectly or you get hit in a fuel shutoff. It's swinging. <laughs> the tack is swinging by so quickly. So, so the, 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 the race guys uh, must be jealous because I think they're capped oh, at 500 horsepower oh, yeah. no, by IMSA. We, we, we have a lot more power than they do. <laughs> <laughs> we've had some uh, the race drivers in the car, and um, you'll see in the reveal video next uh, week, you'll see Oliver Gavin, who just retired from the race program last year. He's been helping us do some development work, so he's been at the ring and driven the car, and he's going to continue working with us um, and actually help uh, with the European launch of the car. Do you have a Nurburgring time to release yet? No, we don't. Uh, that's usually the last thing we do. We've been doing development work uh, at the ring, and so if all the stars align, uh, maybe next year we'll be able to go for a fast lap. They don't make it easy on us, and it's really it's a nice-to-do. It's not a have-to-do. Have-to-do is get the development work done so the car is really competent on that track, competent on the Autobahn. That's what we do when we, we go over there. And we're really looking forward to selling this car in Europe as well. Yeah. Well, as, as you say, I mean, this is a, 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 a dramatic change from the base car, which is a pushrod V8, makes 495 horsepower. Correct. You're going all new powertrain here uh, with, with the, uh, the five and a half liter flat plane crank. Um, did, did, uh, what we're looking at, too, visually is, is dramatically different. As you say, sheet metal from the uh, from the standard uh, C8 was the idea that because you were making such a dramatic change to the engine, just everything naturally should be changed uh, as well. Well, the performance aspirations of the car essentially forced the car to look different. Mm -hmm. Packaging the larger heat exchangers, much larger openings in the quarter. That's feeding air. It does three things actually: feeds air into coolers that reside back there. Uh, the cool the engine and the trans. It also puts cool air into the engine compartment um, so that it can just evacuate generally hot air in the engine compartment. And it feeds the engine. The intake, uh, the induction system runs right through the top part of that quarter. So it's enabled by the wider tires. It's the first time we've ever done 345 millimeter wide tires on the back, the 21 inches in diameter, so by far the biggest tires we've ever used on Corvette. That width of the car drives the quarter panel out, and that's part of the reason, or the enabler, to make that side opening look so aggressive. And it needs to be that big to be functional. Yeah. So feeding the air into the engine, having low restriction intake and exhaust, helps the engine be able to spin up to that RPM, and it's a, essentially a pump, and so Processing that air through and the exhaust out helps drive that performance. Now, so as we, we walk around the back here, then this this whole rear quarter is significantly wider than yes. in a standard C8. Yeah. How much? Uh, well, it's exactly the width of the tire, so the tires get 40 millimeters diameter or uh, wider than the standard car. All that width goes into the quarter, so it's about 40 millimeters per side. So about 80 overall, a little over three inches wider on the car is. The fascia follows that out. And then the graphics on the rear end, we let uh, the hot air out of the engine compartment through grills on the back end of the car. Those get proportionally bigger as well. We're looking at a pretty substantial diffuser. Uh, the, the, uh, the pipes, the, the, the pipes are, I, I, I can't even remember now, the C8 pipes were central as they are here? No. It's a good observation. Mm -hmm. So uh, Stingray has outboard exhaust right. tips, and uh, actually late in the program, um, 
we realized we could probably do a better job on the exhaust sound. Our first plan was to basically retune those, that same configuration of exhaust. But the flat plane crank engine requires very specific geometry in the exhaust to get the best sound out of it. And that required actually late re-architecting of not just the exhaust system, but actually the whole lower back end of the car. And that's why if you look at the spy shots from early on, you'll see these wide-bodied cars running around with exhaust tips outboard. And then later in the program, you start to see them come in to the center. Now, on C7, we had them in the center, so it's a look we're familiar with, but the execution's very different. The tips that you see are no longer actually attached to the exhaust pipe, uh, which is atypical for us. We usually have genuine tips welded right onto the, the pipe. But the challenge on this car was to get the car sounding really good both outside and to the driver. And because you have so much engine and distance between you and the exhaust tips, the, the sound from the inside of the car tends to get lost. It's so far behind you. And so that's one of the challenges we had. And so for functional reasons, we actually end the exhaust system forward of those tips and then we shape those tips like reverse megaphones. So as the sound pulses come out of the tips and expand, they reflect off those surfaces and go forward. And that actually, you can hear, you can A-B it in the car really easily. You can really tell the difference having those tips on or not. Now, a lot of cars do facial mounted exhaust tips, but they're just fake tips. Right. You know, they just want to get a graphic, a shape. Um, we needed to do this for functional reasons. So there's nothing fake about them. The whole idea is to get a balance of the great sound of the car as it goes by you standing outside and also the driving experience when you're inside the vehicle. You said there are two cars here. Yes. Uh, second one over here in bright orange has a has a big wing on the back. This yes. is an aero package, presumably, that's optional. Yes. So we started with the standard car, which is still totally track-capable, um, you know, very... Uh, got all the cooling that it needs uh, for track capability, but like the last generation, we offer a Z07 package. So that's for somebody who's really pretty hardcore, definitely intends to take it to the track. Mm -hmm. It runs on the cup tires, which are practically racing slicks. Mm -hmm. But you get all the unique chassis tuning, and you get the unique aero package that you see there that includes a high wing. Um, and the total performance of this aero package is the best we've ever seen in terms of the balance of lift and drag. Um, here, I think on the, this, the ZR1, I'm going to say the wing got to about a thousand pounds of downforce just to be this, in that territory. What we're doing is we're um, comparing everything at 186 miles an hour, 300 kilometers an hour. This actually outperforms that car pretty substantially. Mm -hmm. uh, if I remember right, it's 6% uh, more downforce and 8% less drag um, than that car. So here we are. This is a Z06, not a ZR1, oh, right. but it's well outperforming the last gen ZR1. Mm -hmm. And it does so on the track as well. This, this will handily beat a C7. Six on the track, and it'll run with the ZR1, and because of the aero performance and the way we've made the tires more robustly performing, it'll do lap after lap after lap at peak speeds. And so if you look at the average time in a lapping session, this would be quite a bit quicker than the C7 ZR1, which is, which is something. <laughs> that car was pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite a car. Maybe bring it around to the front here, because the, the front is also uh, uh, dramatically different. Uh, uh, people people recognize it uh, right away as the 
as a uh, GO6 as opposed to a standard car. What are you doing up front here? So in the front, uh, I talked about the cooling of the car. We really need to have robust cooling. We're going to sell the car around the world, including the Middle East. Um, we expect people to be running on tracks uh, all around the world. So we want to make sure we have really good cooling. And so like the difference between last gen ZO6 and ZO1, we did a new front fascia. So we're doing the same thing here. And so on the Stingray, we have the, the heat exchangers outboard and the big center front. On this one, we put add an additional pretty large heat exchanger in the middle, and we managed to keep the front. So the front trunk compartment is the same size as people are used to on the Stingray. Same thing for the rear. So all that utility comes with this car with that much more track capability. You can still vacation up north with it. You still can. And that's, you know, that's part of the tradition we have on Corvette. Of even our most serious track cars are still pretty reasonably riding cars. Mm -hmm. You don't get sick of them. Um, after you get off the track, you can still do grand touring in them. We have all the modes. The, the magnetic ride, the sport gen mag, mag ride is uh, standard on this car. Let me take you around to the interior uh, and, and finish up on that because, yeah, the interior, of course, in the C8 was such a dramatic departure from the last generation yes. as well. Do, do you advance that here or is the interior pretty similar? So the interior geometry, yeah, the basic surfaces are very much the same. We've upgraded uh, materials and actually the standard Stingray uh, benefits because we were thinking about this car when we were doing that car. We knew this was going to be at a higher price point mm -hmm. and so we really wanted an interior that would look at home in a more expensive car. And so a lot of people when the C8 came out and looked at the way we executed the interior they said, how did, how did you do that? We're winning awards for the interior, which it hasn't historically been a Corvette strength, mm -hmm. but we turned a weakness into a strength, and this takes it the next step farther. If you look at this car, uh, which is an up-level car, admittedly, uh, you can see a bunch of new content. So the carbon fiber that you see here is optional. Um, for people who like carbon, we're giving them a lot of it. And you can see the sculptural shapes, shapes uh, big pieces on the door, and almost the whole center console. Very tricky to manufacture, including that cup holder door, all rendered in carbon. So on a Stingray, you can get um, FA5 um, carbon package that has small accents. Mm -hmm. On this one, it's much bigger. Big pieces on door, center console, and you can see the steering wheel here rendered in carbon, which you see on very, very expensive uh, premium vehicles. And of course, we have a heated wheel, all the, the usual stuff, heated wheel, but the reason I bring that up, it's not everybody heats the carbon sections of the wheel. They'll heat the part that's leather, where you'd expect your hands to be touched, mm -hmm. but this has a lot of carbon all the way around the rim. You want that to be warm, too, and so that heats up with the heated steering wheel. Yeah, that's, that's really, really impressive. Um, just to uh, to finish with price, I, I know you guys are not finalizing it because right. it's, uh, this car isn't going to come on market until uh, in, until uh, the summer of 2022. Which is not that far away, yeah. really. <laughs> Almost have a turn around already. It's amazing. But as you already it. talked about, the performance of this vehicle out out uh, right uh, out does that of the outgoing ZR1, which is a hundred and what? How what did the ZR1 sell one, for? Twenty star. I mean, we had those between one twenty and one forty. Yeah. And so uh, this will this will start well under a hundred thousand dollars. Actually, our, our, you know, everybody was shocked when we brought out the Stingray at sixty thousand. The the price ladder that you're familiar with is expected to be more or less continued here. Yeah. So people are familiar with the the, the markups between a, a Stingray, C06, it'll, it'll be similar. And the price hasn't been established right. yet. Um, that's done late. 
Um, but it won't be a shocker to people. It'll be right. a surprising deal. And the car we're looking at here is a retracting hardtop. So that's one nice thing is you can get this state-of-the-art performance car and you get your choice of coupe with a removable roof or the retracting hardtop. So we've managed to take the super high output double overhead cam engine with super free breathing intake, you know, a very tall intake plenum packet under a folding hardtop so you can have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, just like the standard car? Just like the standard car, <laughs> except Ted's a lot more power. <laughs> Executive Chief Engineer for the Corvette C8 and now the all-new C8 Z06. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Black is beautiful. The photography of Black Kwame is beautiful. Brathwaite. The photography of Kwame Brathwaite. Okay, that will do it for us today. Until next time, this is Henry Payne for Car Radio. Keep the shiny side up. Photography of Kwame Brathwaite is now on view at the Detroit Institute of Arts. His large-scale images captured the soul of the 1960s movement, celebrating black style and identity. See more than 40 stunning studio portraits, fashion work, and behind-the-scenes images of Harlem's 60s era, artistic and jazz community. Admission is always free for residents of Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb counties. More information and reservations at dia.org slash blackisbeautiful. 9 to a.m. Superstation has the greatest advertising deal ever with our Godfather package. 200 spots for $500 with a must-air-within-30-day policy. That is only $2.50 per spot, and we will even produce the spots free. That's right, free. Call Ronisha Williams now at 313-434-8291. WADL gets a facelift and is now My 38 Detroit. Along with a facelift comes new programming on Mondays at 8 p.m. Catch a two-hour block of Law & Order SVU. Tuesdays, Chicago Fire. Wednesdays, Dateline. More Dateline and Chicago PD on Thursdays and on Fridays. You'll get more Chicago PD to start your weekend. We'll still have some of your favorite shows like Mom, Blackish, and Friends. Just adding more for you to enjoy on My 38. We all love fried food, but the problem is all that excess oil and fat can cause you to become overweight. Well, now